to begin. Coming to you from the desert, somewhere in Arizona. It's here. It's here. The Impatient Investor with Andrew Lenoy. It's him. He's alive. If you're looking for new ways to generate wealth and passive income, you're in the right place. You want it all, don't you? You're in the right place. This is the podcast for those wanting to take control and gain freedom through alternative investments. If you're following your mom and dad's investment advice. Honey, I'm home. Yeah, this isn't the podcast for you. Do you know what time it is? Why, yes. Yes, I do. I know what you're thinking. This is going to be unbelievable. It's time for The Impatient Investor with Andrew Lenoy. Andrew Lenoy. Hey everyone, I'm super excited for today's episode. I've got my good friend Patrick Donahoe on, who is the host of the Wealth Standard podcast, very, very popular podcast, and also the author of Heads I Win, Tales You Lose. We go pretty deep on this one and hope you guys enjoy the conversation. Hey, Patrick, glad to have you on the show. And, uh, and how, how are you doing? Oh, you know, I'm living, living, uh, living the dream, living the new dream. I'm good, I'm good Andrew. How, how are you doing, man? Yeah, same thing. It's the, it, it, as much as I almost dislike the, the, the phrase, the new normal, that's certainly what, it, what it's become, right? Every life day, is every- not li- you know, life is not linear. And it never has been, but yet, even though we all hope that it was so good test, good test for humanity. I would say so. Um, One of the first things to kind of just dive into. So we're here in, uh, we're in July of 2020 and I guess about four months deep into coronavirus and COVID-19 and just interesting to kind of talk through the, where we are in the, in the market, kind of the state of the economy. Um, I, I actually spoke to someone last week or the week before who was in Salt Lake where you're based and said, boy, you know, it, it's such interesting times. Um, we we're talking about price points for single family homes. And here in, here in Phoenix, if you've got something that's kind of in the 300 to 350 range, something like that, you know, below a jumbo mortgage, there's 20 offers on that home. Um, things are moving really fast. Interest rates are absolutely at a, at a historical low. Um, we, we're in this strange pandemic. Um, I don't think we're really in a recession, um, but the real estate market is hot right now, certainly. I mean, if you're a, you know, you're a, you're a multifamily owner, um, great time to sell. If you're thinking about selling, if you're you know, a residential homeowner, a lot of competition in that market. Um, maybe, maybe what are you seeing and whether it's specific to Salt Lake or just in general, what, what are you seeing on, uh, just kind of through your, your eyes and your lens? Well, you definitely have different things going on depending on who you're talking about. And I think you can identify the different socioeconomic classes. And right now I think it's too early to tell because there were some who were prepared Right. And, also, and what I mean by prepared was they were financially prepared, but there are also some from a business standpoint who were prepared. Right. It's such an amazing time where you can see you have the most volume of people purchasing stuff, but yet all retailers are going bankrupt, uh, major retailers, publicly traded retailers. So you have you have a lot of interesting things going on right now. You have, you know, chaos in, in the urban sectors and then 
huge booms in the suburban sectors because of you know the majority of companies that have been able to adapt and go remote with their employment or with their workforce. You know, they've uh, the, the, I'm not going to pay all this rent in the city for a $500 you know or 500 square foot apartment. I'm going to go to the suburbs, right? So it's really interesting. I think we're still in the middle of of the shift. You know, I would say the variable that I'm paying most attention to is just you know the uh, who's at the helm. Uh, directing the, I would say, supplement of the economy, which is the central, you know, central banks around the world, where you know the government has been tapping those to provide uh, unemployment benefits that weren't there. They're using that to do uh, business stimulus, and you know that money is still circulating. And so, if it didn't exist, we've been in a, be in a totally different economy. But because that does exist, it's kind of like artificially, you know, kept things at bay. And so I. As I look at things, I've just reserved myself to not trying to make uh, predictions because at this point, fundamentals are kind of out the window in a sense, and you have uh, third-party influence and power, central banks, government, uh, to essentially take what should be an objective signal and make it totally subjective and, and going in the other direction. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So back on on maybe labor costs, um, there's been some... some uh, really predictions and, and, and studies or really predictions that have come out that said construction and labor costs are going to be drastically reduced on the other side of this. And obviously with, I haven't seen the last numbers, but we've got to be pretty close to 50 million jobless claims in four, in a four month period. And I, and I think when I looked at the, some of the historicals on it, maybe just a trailing 12, it might've been a couple hundred thousand a month. So obviously that's just a massive jump. It doesn't directly mean that's it doesn't directly tie to unemployment and what that percentage is now but it's certainly a huge number um so you think for someone and this is interesting when i talk to other business owners someone who's making minimum wage and it, and they're making more money sitting at home not working if they were if they were laid off do you, how do you think that affects uh, maybe labor in in the future so one a few of the things that we've talked about is and this goes back to office buildings is you know, if, you're, if you've sent all your employees home and you're not really working in an office anymore and indefinitely, depending on what state you're in, is there a massive opportunity in the um, office building space on the other side of this, just meaning, hey, you can get a much more bang for your buck. Um, and then there's some schools of thoughts on, on labor specifically. Um, and the person who is making $80,000 a year that is struggling to find a job, maybe, maybe there, maybe it's a $50,000 salary on this, on the other side of this. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would, I'll talk about the, the, those that are making more minimum, minimum wage and that different, I would say socioeconomic class, which I think is, it's a, it's a big issue because the unintended consequence of providing, you know, uh, benefits that incentivize somebody to, to stay home instead of go out and get a job. I think they're very short term, right? Cause I think part of human nature is that we want to, you know, we don't want like the scraps on the table. Naturally, we 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 want to earn. I mean, there may be some of that out there. At the same time, I think most people are wired wired for that. And right now, you're essentially robbing people of figuring out uh, how to uh, adapt because you're just giving them money, right? You're not giving them incentive other than to stay home uh, and continue to maybe spend on the different lifestyle expenses that they that they have. But you're also positioning businesses so that uh, when things come back and unemployment benefits run out, they're, they're, the job may not be there. There's, that's the, another nature of entrepreneurs and business owners where they try to figure out ways to, to adapt and be efficient. 
And if they no longer have people working for them, they're going to figure out how to stay in business or go out of business or restructure their business through bankruptcy. But when the unintended consequence is that when the economy opens up, the you know, there's, there quarantines are, are lifted, restrictions are lifted, the jobs that were there when they were unemployed will no longer be there when they come when they come back. So that's the that's the first thing. I also look at just space and, and real estate. Um, you know, I I knew that the that the whole remote. I mean, I, I my beliefs. I have a five year. Uh, what was it? End up being six, but six years in the lease that I'm in right now. And I'm in the final year, and you know, we have thirty thousand square feet, and, and I sublease uh, about ten thousand. And, and then, you know, the rest was, it was just a deal that was too good to be true because the business, you know, building owners changed when we renewed the lease and they just gave us a killer deal to stay because we were the anchor tenant. But now I have zero people here and I've had them here for, you know, haven't had them here for four years. So I don't have to pay for parking, I don't have to pay for food. And there's also an increase in productivity and, and happiness. People have adapted to it. Uh, and so when my lease is up, right, it's going to be totally, totally different. And I, I, I'm not the only one. Uh, but I still think that there's going to be relevance in office space. At the same time, it's a it's a new world, and so the use of space. Who knows? I mean, I, I look at entertainment being you know something that sp- going to some place and having physical entertainment is going to be you know definitely something that increases. But for me, right now, I mean, I think real estate is definitely getting a deck shuffle, especially in like the the retail and, and commercial space, not residential, commercial, but you know, but the the retail space, the office space. Yeah. What's so interesting too is there's a, there was a, a statistic I saw on something the effect of over 50% of department stores and malls are predicted to close at the end of 2021. And you look at the, just the physical footprint of a mall and you know, those, those are massive, right? And even if you look at like the, the circuit cities and some of those companies that, that filed for bankruptcy, previously and now you know who would have thought someone like an amazon would come in and buy those as fulfillment centers and you know so it's it's so interesting what's happening with um with with real estate just on on that side yeah Um, i think it's becoming you know it's becoming very akin to the you know airbnb model and i I don't think airbnb is a great example right now because obviously you know that uh, that business has its its challenges just because of uh demand due to due to restrictions but at the same time, it's like Amazon. Amazon is just a platform, right? And obviously, they make their own product, but it's allowed you know smaller entrepreneurial-minded people to go in and uh, provide services at a much more efficient level. Whether it's electronics, whether it's clothing, uh, whether it's bundling, I mean, there's a whole fascinating universe of e-commerce that is where people have gone to to spend money and away from the big box, the big you know retailer, Circuit City, Best Buy. Uh, you know, you you name it. I mean, that there's a there's a shift there, which is really fascinating to observe. But this again, it just goes to how we all evolve and innovate as a as a human race. And so that's where I think the disruption uh, isn't a bad thing. It's really caused a shock to the system, and now people are at work figuring out how to solve problems, which I think is fascinating. And and frankly, you know, I think in large part government intervention uh, stifles that. And I understand why they do it, and that's really all the tools they have in their toolbox. Um, and they're always the ones that are kind of knighted to solve all the problems. So the way in which they're doing it, I'm not surprised by, but at the same time, you still have a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes from the entrepreneur community, the tech community that is making things more efficient, more beneficial. And we haven't necessarily seen the outcome of that yet, but yet it's all in motion. So that should be really interesting to observe as well and, and see how, you know, 
what happens with a lot of these big bankruptcies that are going on and what, uh, you know, what ends up being the result. I'll give you an example though. There's a, it's interesting with a lot of the, you know, the JCPenney bankruptcies or bankruptcy, you have a lot of other big companies. I mean, bankruptcy is, I think it's a very misunderstood idea with most people. Bankruptcy is not failure. Uh, bankruptcy is essentially, uh, you know, renegotiating contracts. Okay. It's taking debts, taking assets, and coming to an agreement on, you know, how to uh, how to disperse the assets among those that are, you know, creditors. But you're you're seeing a lot of very, you know, prominent marketing and e-commerce people go in and buy some of these assets, whether it's supply chain or whether it's, uh, you know, uh, intellectual property. And they're taking modern marketing techniques and they're taking uh, modern e-commerce techniques and they're crushing it. Uh, and but you still see, you know, JCPenney television commercials trying to sell like you know, kids t-shirts. So it's just fascinating to observe just how stark of a difference there is with the common, you know, conventional wisdom of how businesses, you know, corporations should be run versus how the entrepreneur community is, you know, throwing it on, on its head and doing it totally different. Yeah, it's interesting too. And through the, the last, you know, speaking of innovation through the last downturn, the subprime crash, you had companies like Airbnb and Uber. So, really were born during that time. And so now there's all kinds of problems that didn't exist four months ago uh, that people are you know, furiously trying to solve. So it'll be really interesting in the next six, 12, 18 months, maybe two years to see kind of what surfaces. Um, so our, our mutual friend, Jason Hartman talks about, um, he's, he's been big on the, the, the population migration, which is interesting, right? I think he had said that approximately 84% of people live in urban areas. Will that trend continue or is there a migration away from um, these dense metros like in New York City? One one thing that I, that I thought several years ago, especially um, in the affordable housing business and secondary and tertiary markets was there there might have been a, a case to say, Look, there's a there's a trend of um, you know if you're you're in this tiny one horse town in the in the Midwest and Dallas Texas has jobs and you can't find a job where you are I mean maybe Michigan's a good example of that or Detroit well, well guess what you're going to move to Dallas right you're going to move to where the jobs are but we're kind of seeing some some interesting things that are the opposite about that just like Jason had talked about um, like I certainly would want to be living in New York City right now. Um, and even further to that, I don't know if I'd want to be in a big apartment complex right now. It's so, it's pretty interesting. What what are you what are you seeing on that, or what's your take? I still think we're in, we're in the middle of it, right? And at the same time, you know, what is what is your understanding of human nature uh, make you believe about how people will react to to the situation? So I, I look at yeah, there, there's definitely a, a population a segment of the population that likes urban society, but they're many people that live in urban society, it is not worth it to them. Not worth the cost, not worth the hassle. If you grew up, if you grew up there, I can see how there's an affinity there. But, but a lot of people grew up in, you know, suburbs, about middle class areas. And so they, you know, have that kind of in their, their bones and they want to they go back to that. And this is a perfect, you know, perfect uh, opportunity to, to do that, but still maintain a, a, a good career. Um, I mean, I, I, I have a mentor that lives in the middle of freaking nowhere in Texas uh, and you know she she's that's where she loves to live. They have a pond and a lake, and she does all of her business online. Uh, I, I think that those who are able to adapt to that have now been able to, I would say, position their lifestyle around their business as opposed to 
uh, or you know, their businesses around their lifestyle as opposed to what it was before, which is their lifestyle was around their business. So I think it's a really interesting shift. And I, I, I saw it going in this direction regardless. Uh, now even more so, people are going to go live where they want to live, where it provides a fulfilling lifestyle uh, and not have to just you know be subject to going to specific areas because there's a job there, which is really interesting. That's going to totally you know, throw things on it uh, on their head because you got to remember like real estate isn't just like, Hey, let's go build an apartment complex. I mean, real estate, it's like, all right, you got to find the area, you got to do all the due diligence and you got to get permits and you got to get approved here and approved here buy the land, rezone the land. I mean, there's years in some cases of time that's spent on, you know, creating a big project. Uh, and now it's just interesting that, you know, the projects continue, even though we're in like the middle of like people moving and there's huge immigrations everywhere. So I don't know. I just find it fascinating to observe what's going on, uh, trying to rationalize it and understand it to see where the opportunities are. I've just kind of stepped back and tried not to force that and just hope that through, you know, networking and through the minds of others, podcasts like yours is where I can start to find some, uh, some opportunities. Yeah, that's great. <clears throat> we talked a little bit about um, some of the the industries that are that are in trouble right now. Obviously, office buildings are empty across the board. Horrible time to be a you know an office building owner. Um, Airbnb, hotels, tourism, all have been relatively decimated, kind of depending on where where you look. Uh, retail, obviously, um, non essential retail like restaurants who are on razor thin margins. That now that being forced to open 50% or even being shut back down again. Yep. Um, what, what are you seeing just as far as you, you're probably looking at several, at, at several things. Then of course there's the, I have good friends in the, in the concert, uh, the concert business was, which is just completely wiped out sports. Yep. You know, they're trying to bring back, you know, certain, certain sports now, which is interesting. Movie theaters. No fans, no sounds, no reaction. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. Um, so what are the things that you're kind of noticing um, just in general, who's kind of, who's in trouble? I mean, you know, back to what we started talking about, we're not, we're not really in a recession, I don't think. And, and the market is up and real estate is screaming hot. Um, but what, what are you seeing as far as just kind of who's in trouble and what, what things are you, are you thinking about or noticing? You, you nailed it. Uh, I, I look at everything that people did before that involves being around multiple people, the psychology, I don't think is going to go away for, for a while. And the psychology is people are afraid because they've been made afraid because there's just as much argument that, you know, it is on one side than the other. And I'm, I'm not going to get into that because, you know, both sides have merit. Uh, at the same time, the psychology of people, right, typically cling closer to fear than they do on, uh, you know, uh, pleasure and optimism. So, so I look at, you know, the psychology, psychological damage is, uh, is done. So you hit, hit the nail on the head, uh, arenas, right? Big conferences. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't see that happening for, for a while. Uh, Tony Robbins, you know, so I'm part of, been part of his platinum community for a couple of years now. And, you know, even him, the guy that is incredibly understanding of, of human psychology and behavior, uh, and mindset, like he had such a rough time, like, cancel this, but okay, let's cut Let's try to reschedule to an area that's open. Let's, well, that doesn't work. Okay. Let's go to this area. Let's go to that area. Uh, until the yeah, point incredible. it's like, it's not possible. So he, he actually orchestrated last week, the, the biggest zoom meeting in history, which was like 24,000 people. 
So I think wow. you have those that are kind of pushing the limits because what's the purpose of going to a conference? What's the purpose of going to uh, a concert, right? I think once you start to understand the end result of why people go and, and replicate that in a way that aligns with this new psychology, that's where all the opportunity is. But you hit the nail on the head, transportation, right, is, uh, is completely going to change. Um, I would say entertainment where there's big groups is going to is going to totally totally change uh sports is going to is going to totally change so yeah i you know it's i don't know what the end result is going to be at the same time everyone loves sports everyone loves concerts everyone right. loves entertainment they love to have fun they like to experience one another they like to be they like to be with family and experience family and go to nice places so it's kind of like the end result is what people still desire but the psychology of the risk to actually get that has been changed. The risk may no longer be worth the reward. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty great. And obviously those live events or a conference or anything like that, it's energy, right? It's, it's, it's rubbing elbows and it's, you know, you're not going to get the same energy necessarily from watching Tony Robbins on a, on a zoom. Um, but he, but obviously they're trying to, to replicate that. So that's and surprisingly cool. enough, I was surprised by how well he did. Wow. And, and I believe, and this is Zoom. Zoom was kind of like put to the test. I mean, talk about, there was like something like 200 rooms or something like that of 200 people or three. Yeah, it was insane. And, wow. but he was able to create some connection. Uh, it's not the same. I mean, it, it wasn't the same as being there in person at the same time. I mean, I would gut say 80% there. And I think it could be improved potentially. You don't know, you never know. But I look yeah. at, you know, the nature of relationship uh, is, is, cha is changing, right? I haven't seen any of my employees for four and a half months yet because we do our daily standups, we have our weekly meetings, we do, you know, Zoom. I have this massive screen in front of me right now. I get to see them, experience them, hear about their stories, see their pictures on our, our uh, you know, workplace by Facebook, uh, business intranet. Like I still feel connected to them, even though it's not, not the same. So I think there's, you know, technology is definitely the industry that is going to, you know, provide a lot of the solutions. There's no way around that. It's our, the, the wheels are in motion. It's just to see how they, how they do it. Um, but yeah, I think from a real estate standpoint, if the majority of people here are, are you know, real estate investors, and that's where they're trying to, to build, uh, to build wealth, you know, it's really going to be the result of what people want and the risk that they're going to take to actually get what they want. Uh, but I, I lean toward you. People are wanting their you know, childhood home. They want more space. They don't want to be confined. They they want a beautiful place to live, live a better climate. Um, you know, they want they want community, but not, you know, community where you're you know squeezed in like sardines. So I think that's really understanding the human behavior side of things and what people are actually trying to achieve is that and then realizing kind of the way in which it was done before and how it's being innovated uh to you know remove the risk and remove the friction that's where all the opportunity is going to be yeah that's such a great point um one of the things that we talk about on the on the show is generational wealth and and i and i really believe um there are a couple components to that and one is um, financial legacy and the other is knowledge le legacy and i know you have a family and um, just wanted to kind of pose that question to you is what is, what does that mean to you? You've got several companies, you've got, uh, some other things we're going to talk about after, after this, but you also have a family, maybe what generational wealth really means to you, um, leaving a legacy behind, maybe talk, talk about that a bit. 
Well, this is, you know, it, it, it's something that I don't think is important to, to certain people uh, until, uh, until a certain point of their, of, of their life. Uh, and so I, and I'm, I'm, I could be totally wrong on this. Uh, at the same time, you know, Mas, Maslow, Abraham Maslow, a uh, famous psychologist created the, the hierarchy of needs and, and, and essentially show, showed through his career, you know, how people need to meet certain needs before they progress to other kind of elevated needs. So physiological is first, food, shelter, clothing, safety is, is second, safety of a community, safety of a country. You know, you look at immigration to the United States, illegal immigration, people come here because they don't feel safe in the areas that they're in. So they naturally are compelled physically to flee to a place where they feel safe. Then you have, you know, your your relationships. Then you have your significance uh, and I, you know, self-identification that you have a role in the world. But then it goes to this next level, which is the self-actualization. And I think a lot more people are there. We live in a very abundant country. I mean, we're even those that make minimum wage that, uh, you know, have, have enough to pay bills and, and live kind of a basic lifestyle, uh, live in just an incredible time uh, where we have so much entertainment. We have the ability to communicate. Uh, we, you know, have solutions to, to different sicknesses and ailments. Uh, so I, I look at that, and you know, I think people are able to get to that self-actualized phase sooner than sooner than later. And it becomes almost this shift, this shift where you realize that your your satisfaction, fulfillment is the res, is the result of making the biggest difference with others. Uh, and when you do that, when that shift takes place, I think that's when generate the idea of generational wealth is, uh, is, is important to you, wanting to make a difference, wanting to leave your mark on the world. Uh, and, it, and I, I don't, I don't think it has to be that way, Andrew, but at least that's been my, my experience, right? If you don't have, uh, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, if you're, uh, you know, you don't have savings and you're worried, I don't think you're that you tend to think about yourself and think about maybe your, your family to an extent. Uh, so it's difficult to make that, make that leap. But when you, but when you do, I think life takes on totally new meaning. And I think that's probably by, by design. Uh, but that's where, you know, I would say leadership principles uh, take hold where you want to impact and influence the lives of other people. Uh, and I think there's a role for that in, uh, in business, definitely in politics, because there's a huge lack of that. Uh, but then also just in your neighborhood, right within your, within your family, it makes a, it makes a huge difference. So I think generational wealth, you know, money is just a measurement of value. It's not the value itself. And, and I look at the principles that really have a person understand what fulfills them in life is essentially identifying who they are what they've been given as a strength or talent or ability, and then making a difference in the lives of other, of other people. And usually that's where a lot of wealth comes from, uh, financial, financial wealth. Uh, so that's where I think the starting place is. And that's where I've tried to convey to, you know, my kids. And this has just been a great four months when I've been, where I've been able to have really deep and meaningful conversations with, with them uh, and help them understand kind of what's going on and why things are the way that they are, why there's certain reactions, the way that, but I've also allowed it, it's allowed me to talk more about financial things with them, especially my two teenagers. So my two teenage girls, right? Everybody has a concept of money, and so it's been interesting just to understand their concept of uh, of money. Uh, and I had to, you know, I had to write a letter to them uh, a few months ago because they were getting stir crazy. They were um, being rude to, to Cynthia uh, and being mean to their little brother, uh, my six year old. And so I wrote a letter because my wife, you know, she grew up 
uh, with absolutely nothing. She didn't grow, you know, she grew up in the hood of Mexico, uh, a cinder block home with concrete floors. She never had her own bed, never had her own bedroom, you know, uh, never uh, had a birthday party, never had Christmas. And, and I, I felt compelled to write that just so it provided, you know, another, uh, provided a wider spectrum for them to understand the life that, that they live just being in the United States and being and living, you know, in a, in a, 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 a really safe city. Because uh, sometimes we don't, we don't value, we don't value that. And so I think te- those lessons are more valuable than any money that you can give. Because I think money just magnifies who a person already is. And so I think the greatest wealth that could be transferred uh, is the understanding of the different principles that lead to a fulfilling life. It doesn't mean that you're going to be fulfilled the same way as someone else. In fact, I think it's all going to be different, but it's, it's the principles associated with that. Uh, and, and then it's for them, you know, my older daughter, she's had a rough time uh, with fitting in with her classmates school. She was in high school as a freshman this, this past year. And, you know, it was, it was hard on her because she's very social. She loves people, but yet, you know, how kids are when they're, you know, going through puberty, they're horrible to, to each other, but it's understanding, you know, really their role in society and understanding, you know, a self-love, a self-importance and not necessarily needing the universe to align the way they want to in order for them to be happy. Uh, and th- that right there, I think made a, made a huge difference at the same time, you know, only time will, only time will tell. So I think money, what that does is it'll magnify, you know, what has be, you know, what a person already understands about money, what they understand about life, because you have really wealthy people, successful people that end up killing themselves, right? Because they ne- didn't necessarily understand the tenets or dynamic of, uh, of what success is supposed to give you. Uh, and so I look at, you know, what I've used as my life lessons and I'm constantly uh, writing things down, taking a journal. You know, I use day one app, which is an amazing journal service where you can do like little audio, audio uh, entries, pictures. It, you know, links up to your social media so you can automatically store pictures. You know, th- those things are important to me. But, you know, the deep conversations and meaningful relationship that I'm trying to create with them is what. Uh, I believe is going to make the biggest difference whether or not I leave leave money behind. Uh, and, and if I do leave money behind, right, the principles will be there for them to use it for good as opposed to opposed to not because money definitely is a uh, is not the master, right? Yep, that's really powerful. And, and just and just curious, when you um, what made you decide to to write a letter to your your daughters? I mean, we're in twenty twenty. Um, that's such a, that's such an interesting and unique format. Um, what was kind of the thought process behind that? Well, first, yeah, I mean, I, I, Jocko Willink, I really like that guy. I mean, I try to follow these like different leadership styles. Like, you know, you got a Jocko Willink, who's this like hardcore freaking Navy SEAL guy. Then you got the Simon Sinek's who's kind of like the, the, the more happy and, 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 you know, influential guy. Uh, and, you know, and then you have, you have others like Deepak Chopra has written about, you know, leadership. So it's, it's, I, I tried, I've really tried to kind of hone, hone in on what that, you know, and what leadership really is and, and what is uh, my, you know, style of, of leadership and refine that. So some ideas that are based on some of those books, right, where I really wanted to create, you know, create spectrum for them because the spectrum of their view of the world is very narrow, right? They wake up same day, day in, day out, and they experience life in a very similar way. Uh, and they don't have the breadth of experience of like what it's like to live in a different city, what it's like to live in a different culture, what it's like to live in a different socioeconomic position. Uh, and so the spectrum, what it did, I believe, is to help them understand the value uh, of where they are. 
uh, and what their mother really wants for them. Uh, and it, you know, and it, I think and it's not, it wasn't a harsh letter to, to them, but it was, my point was to help them be sober about really what they were doing and be more conscious uh, of it. And it, it helped a little, but they're still teenagers. So, you know, but the point wasn't to make a short-term difference. The point was to, you know, create kind of a disruptive moment where they thought about their actions uh, at a, at a different level. And hopefully that will, you know, manifest in different forms over the course of time. But you know, who knows? Yeah, it's really powerful because I think the key was disruptive there, right? Because you're having conversations and just like you had said before, probably more so than ever, just because you're spending so much time together, right? During all of this. So certainly uh, very disruptive to, to do that. And, and, I, and I would think that's in a very positive way. Yeah, we've also had conversations, man. This is maybe not something that would be appropriate here, but um, you know, the, the amount of uh, predators that are you know, infiltrating the lives of kids has like hugely increased. And so we've had some very interesting conversations about that, about that and have really limited social media, you know, put some restrictions and presented things, you know, in a way that, that helps them, but also not hides, you know, what's going on from them. And that's been, those have also been interesting conversations. Kids kind of know what's going on. And if you try to hide things from them, I think they come up with like, why are they hiding things from them? And they place a meaning on it, which I don't think is always uh, healthy. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, really, the last thing just to, to talk about, you, you wrote a, a, a book pretty recently called Heads I Win, Tails You Lose. It's a really great book. We're going to have the link in the, uh, the show notes here. But maybe just talk a little bit about the, you know, some time leading up to, um, to writing that book and publishing that book. And obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a massive process for someone who's never gone through it. So it's probably, I'm guessing, was an idea in your head for, for a while. Uh, and, and maybe just talk about the, the process and what, and, what, and what the book is about. Yeah, I know there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that are writing books the, these days. And, um, you know, I, personally, my, my belief was I didn't want to write something just to write it. Like I wanted to write something that really represented what I believed about certain things. Uh, you know, and I've, the business I'm in, it was started in 2007 and, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's been a, a really interesting journey over the years. And so I wrote the book in 2017 into 2018 and it came out in 2018. Uh, but it, but what I wanted to show is, you know, the experience I've had with people, the experience I've had with, you know, uh, what are the, the financial strategies that, that work? Uh, and we share a very similar uh, philosophy, if not identical philosophy about, about finance uh, and what I tried to do is, you know, present the case, not in an attacking, condescending way, but present the case for how things have evolved uh, and that what people are doing is not necessarily wrong, uh, but the, the environment has changed. And, uh, you know, I look at just how people have been conditioned to manage their money and for what end. Uh, and, I, and I believe that those are not healthy ways to do it. And it's also not the end that people really want because they end up sacrificing a tremendous amount of time, energy uh, it, it now for this, you know, mythical, uh, like, future that who knows how it's going to be, but yet they have this picture in their mind of how it's going to be, and it's just not going to be that way, but yet all the sacrifice that goes into the here and now for that end. Uh, and I look at, you know, just really the, the, the happier people, the most successful people that, that I know and uh, what they're doing differently. Uh, and then just presented case studies because the idea that quote heads I win tails you lose is uh, you know it's an older quote that basically says how do you set up uh, your life how do you set up you know a framework 
so that you will win regardless uh, of what happens in the environment. And that's the, you know, the place I wrote the book from. And there's certain strategies in there, but honestly, Andrew, the strategy that uh, is, I would say, most beneficial to, to people from the feedback that I got is simply the understanding of a person's career uh, and what they do for a living. Uh, like I said before, I, I think it's shifted. Uh, the career idea is, you know, people uh, worked to uh, or live to work, not work to live. Uh, and I think it's changing. And nowadays, like there's so much opportunity to design an incredible lifestyle uh, around work, okay, as opposed to the other way around. Uh, and that, but that shift, there's these like seeds of like, this is what I want, this is what I want, this is what I want, which is retirement. I want to retire. I want, but they never unpack what that really means and what they really want. Once they do, the strategies that most people use these days are not designed for that. They're designed yeah. for that mythical future. Yeah, that's such a great. That's such a great term. I th- feel like that just mythical future just speaks volumes. You know, and I say all the time, it's you know the the the, the American dream is dead as we know it now. What what worked for our grandparents just doesn't work today. So you have you have all these things moving at different speeds. You have technology. You have um, it, it just incredible to kind of sit back and 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 watch and. There's just a lot of people that um, one of our, I can't remember who said this, some of the effect of people spend more time planning their vacation than they do their financial future. Right. Hmm. So that's powerful. So we'll leave a, um, we'll leave a copy of the um, a link to the, to the book in the show notes. And uh, I just want to thank you for spending some time. It's always awesome to talk with you and get your, get your insights on what's happened, uh, what's happening currently. So appreciate you. Appreciate you coming on the show. I appreciate you, man. It's like, you know, those that step out and and actually spread a message that they care about, uh, it's it's inspiring. And so, thank you for what you're doing, uh, setting this up, and all. The, and I I know the work that goes into it, and it's not uh, it's not easy. Uh, but you know, I, I know the place from what you're doing it, and so it's really commendable, man. So, congrats. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. This was the Impatient Investor with Andrew Lenoy. You'd do it again if you thought you could get away with it, wouldn't you? Visit theimpatientinvestor.com for more episodes and be sure to share this podcast. Now, don't tell me you're taking all this seriously. No, seriously. Seriously. Go share it and rate it on iTunes today.